considering that you lost an hour of sleep, and uh, who knows how many people just uh, wandered upon this parking lot at 11.30, right? Uh, so I don't know if there any, how many spaces are left out there, but man, it's great to see you guys today. Um, today, I just want to kind of give you a heads up of, of what's happening in our, in our message today. Th- today's message is not, I'm usually like, a, hey, a number one, number two, number three kind of guy. That's not today. Uh, so, you know, if you're like one of the, you're waiting for that first point, you're like, is this number one trying to beat me there? Hey, we're not going there today. I, I just want to uh, share with you one concept and one thought, and, uh, and then we want to have an opportunity to allow the, the Lord to work in our hearts today. John chapter one, we're starting, we're in the second part of a series called The Unexpected Jesus. And uh, I want to talk about Jesus, they're irrelevant today. John chapter 1, starting in verse 10, John declared about Jesus, and he said, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God. Verse 10 is just a haunting verse to me. It says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. If you want to talk about all the ironies there are in this life, the fact that the God of all creation actually lived on this planet, and He came to this earth, and yet most people the majority of this planet and even the majority of the people who interacted with him never recognized Jesus for who he was. In fact, I think you could dare say and conclude that for a lot of people who lived in the first century with Jesus, that he lived an irrelevant life. He was an obscure carpenter. He was just considered uh, maybe a, a crazy sect of Judaism, uh, another guy in the desert he might be performing miracles and those type of things, but a lot of people did not pay attention to him, and certainly they did not see him as God. In fact, his message really exploded through the lives of people like you and me. That he spent his time discipling a few and having a uh, just a humble following, and from that little group, the world changed, and everything is different because of Jesus. Yet, in his day... And in his time, it could have been argued that Jesus lived an irrelevant life. We live in a day and age, and you and I live in a culture, especially here in, in um, the South and in, in, in Christian culture, where we have this never-ending quest to make Jesus cool. We want to make Jesus relevant. As Christian leaders... As personal witnesses, as people who distribute Christian merchandise, aka that's known as Jesus junk, like like keychains and bumper stickers, and have you ever seen testaments? They're like mints that give a testimony. As people, pastors, and all of those who were in the business of getting people to like Jesus. We feel this pressure and we feel this burden of expectations, and even you as a personal witness, to get people to accept Jesus. 
In fact, sometimes we treat Jesus like another product. We, we treat Jesus like something we have to convince others about. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. And in a world that's obsessed with the practical and the relevant and the understandable and the pragmatic, we wrongly believe that we must present a Jesus who is in style. We feel the unnecessary pressure to make Jesus relevant to the world around us. Well, here's the truth. Jesus, he didn't try to make himself relevant, stylish, or cool. Jesus presented himself in all of his glory, clothed in frailty, hidden in obscurity, and he chose out of his wisdom and sovereign plan to live his life as irrelevant to the standards of the world. So I'm going to suggest that Jesus chose to be irrelevant. And now we've got to answer this question. What does it mean to be relevant? But what does it mean to be relevant? If Jesus chose to be irrelevant, in its most basic form, to be relevant means that you relate to something else. It's an ability to demonstrate a certain connection or a certain understanding. When you're relevant to a person or a group of people, you're often, you get on their level. You come to them. And many times as individuals, we long for relevant experiences. Meet my needs. Speak to me. Get into my world. We want things customized for us. We want things individualized for us. We want everything to be relevant, to revolve around us and who we are. And essentially, our selfishness and our self-centered existence causes us to always look for something that's relevant to us, that means something to us, that connects with our world. And so it is that we are all on this really a mythical quest to try to make Jesus cool and stylish and relevant to everybody else. And here it is. Jesus, Jesus is here to, to, to fit into your culture. And Jesus is here to fit into your schedule. And Jesus is here to fit into your lifestyle. But that is not what Jesus came to do. He came into this world, and the world he created didn't even receive him. Is that madness or what? God who created the very, this very world and the world didn't receive him. Now, in the first century, the Jewish people, they were certainly looking for a relevant Messiah. I mean, they, 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 had a, they had a need. They had a need that needed to be connected with. They were under oppression. They were ruled by another nation. The, the Romans ruled them, made decisions for them. They had no national identity. They had no individual identity. They were uh, an oppressed people. And they were looking for a Messiah that was very relevant to their needs. And so in their mind, they had it figured out. Our Messiah is going to be a political leader. Our Messiah is going to be a, a king figure. Our Messiah is going to be a politician. Our Messiah is going to meet our needs. 
Because Jesus, the Messiah, and of course they didn't call him Jesus, that was just a common name, but the Messiah are in our lives, this great deliverer has to come and meet our needs and what we have. And yet Jesus didn't come as a king, and he didn't come as a politician, and he didn't, didn't come as a military leader. He chose irrelevancy. He chose to abandon people's expectations and what they wanted to become what people needed. You see, we want something. We want a, a, a strong figure that meets our needs, but we need something more than, than someone to meet our temporary needs. We need someone to fulfill our needlessness, to come and to to. Give us not necessarily what we always want, but exactly what we need. You see, the people, and you and I today, what they needed, they needed a death. We needed a sacrifice. We needed a public execution. We didn't need a politician. We needed someone to die an undeserving death on our behalf. We didn't need a pop culture figure. We needed a crucified Savior. So Jesus, the suffering servant, became irrelevant out of his love for you. He chose to come into this world, the very world that he made, and though he made the world, the world rejected him, and the world didn't receive him. Why? Because we don't need a Jesus who's popular to the world. We need a Jesus who will transform the world. A Jesus who will come and change the system, not just join the system. Jesus didn't temporarily meet our felt needs. He became our fulfillment. So then it's not just we're looking for him to meet the different needs that are relevant to our lives. We are counting on him to be our fulfillment. So any temporary need it has no comparison to the fulfillment we find in him. Isaiah chapter 53 predicted this irrelevant Jesus. He predicted how he would be. It said, asked this question, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That this, this, this passage happened thousands of years before Jesus came, but it predicted the Messiah. Verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Isaiah 53, I'm in verse 2. He had, now listen to this part, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Three, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Look at verse 2 again. In the, in the second part of verse 2, Isaiah 53. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Three, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteem him not. This Jesus chose irrelevancy because he knew we needed something more. He knew that we needed something significant. 
We, we've heard the message of Jesus again and again, and, and maybe to ourselves we ask this question, how does this relate to me? How does the message of Jesus relate to me? How does it relate to my world? How does it relate to my schedule? How does the gospel, the message of Jesus, how does it help me achieve my goals? You see, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Because it's more than just having a Jesus who comes to make us better in this life. It's the realization that without him, you and I have a destiny in hell. Without Jesus, because of our sinfulness, and because of our sinful state, without Him, we have no right to heaven. We deceive ourselves and we think, you know, I'm a good person, or I'm a moral person, or I'm a nice person. Yeah, God's going to let me into heaven. But the truth is, there was a price to be paid for your sin. There's a price to be paid for the wrong that you do, the wrong thought, the wrong motive, the wrong intention, not even the wrong action. There is a price to pay, and that price is death. And if Jesus would have come as a political hero, as a warrior, as someone who had popularity in this earth, then he would not have been crucified, and he would not have been killed, but he chose to be irrelevant because his death and his resurrection paid for your sin, paid for your death. He was the substitute for every wrong thing that we've done. Until we understand our sinfulness, until we recognize our depravity, it's only when we know our desperate need for God in our life, then we realize that Jesus, the one who chose to be irrelevant, is exactly what we need. He meets every need and He comes into our lives. And He is the one that is our complete fulfillment. He fulfills every need that we've ever had. Every temporary need that we have pales in comparison to the fulfillment we have in Him. I want you to turn to John chapter 21. I know that we're moving towards the resurrection week, but I wanted to share with you a story. I want to share with you a story that happened after after the resurrection John chapter 21, we pick up the story in the middle of it. In verse 13, it says, Then Jesus served them some bread and the fish. He was resurrected at this time. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples. And then verse 14, since he had been raised from the dead. In verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. 17. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, I think a lot of us have been asking the wrong question. We've been asking the question as, how does Jesus fit into my life? How does Jesus fit into my world? How does Jesus fit into my schedule? How does Jesus fit into my goals? How can I arrange my life to fit church in? How can I arrange my life to, to, uh, to 
line up with the standards Jesus has? How is this going to work out for me? That is the wrong question. You know, here's, here's the question. The question is exactly what Jesus asked Peter. The question is, do you love Jesus? That's the question. Not is he convenient for you? Not if do you prefer Jesus? Not is he relevant to your life? It's a wrong question because it was his irrelevancy that caused you to have life. It was the fact that he chose to be obscure and he chose to be executed, a criminal's death. He did it because he loved you. And now he's asking you this question. The same thing he asked Peter. He said, okay, you know what? You might not have the perfect life and I might not be the Jesus that that always helps you win the ball game and the Jesus that gives you a nice car and the Jesus that makes your life comfortable, but I am the Jesus that can keep you out of hell and then give you life eternal. And so the question is not, am I relevant to your temporary needs? The question is, do you love me because I love you enough to be irrelevant for you? I love this quote. Henry Nowen, he he responded to the passage we just wrote. We can put it on the screen there. It said, uh, look at Jesus. The world did not pay any attention to him. He was crucified and put away. His message of love was rejected by a world in search of power, efficiency, and control. But there he was, and he's talking about John 21, appearing with his wounds in his glorified body to a few friends who had eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. This rejected, unknown, wounded Jesus simply asked, Do you love me? Do you really love me? He whose only concern had been to announce the unconditional love of God had only one question to ask. Do you love me? That's a question Jesus has. So, you know what? If I get up here and I try to convince you, you know, Jesus could be relevant to your life and he'll, he'll, he'll cause this for you and this for you and that for you, all I can say is there's a God who loves you. He loved you enough to be obscure he loved you enough to die for you. And his question today is, I've loved you first. Now, do you love me? Do you love me? Some of you have been asking the wrong question. And today, now that question has been posed to you very clearly. You know, we're, we're coming next week's Palm Sunday. Week after that is Easter. And we're going to have a celebration in this church like we've never had before. It's going to be a wonderful time of celebrating the knowledge we have of, of his resurrection power. But I want you to prepare your hearts today. I want you to prepare your hearts the next couple of weeks. And I want you to answer that question. Do you love Jesus? Because his love for you is clear. It's clear on the cross. It's clear on the cross. His love for you is clear. Without any doubt, it's available for you. It's available for you. We're going to go to the cross today in our minds and in our hearts. I want... Our Penny and Jonathan to lead us in the song. As they lead us in the song, I want you to ask that question yourself. Do you love Jesus today?